been doing uh, basically for the summer months, for July and August. I, the Lord had put it on my heart to do a, pretty much a different topic every week, although some of them have tied together. And uh, so I'm really excited about this. And we talked uh, a little bit last week. We kind of got into the edge of this. And if you're writing a title down, it was called The Center of God's Activity. The Center of God's Activity. In other words, how God speaks to us. Amen. We know that God does speak to us, but we want to know how does He actually speak to us. Now, I made mention of the fact, um, oh, probably about three to four weeks ago, something like I don't know the exact date, but it's been probably a month. Uh, I woke up in the about three o'clock in the morning, between two and three o'clock in the morning, and you know the Bible talks about how that. The, the primary way that God leads all of His children is with the inward witness. That's the number one way that God leads all of His children. If you have Kenneth Hagin's book on how to be led by the Spirit, Jesus appeared to him and showed him that from the Scripture. The second way that God, deal, that God speaks to us is the inward voice. And that's a little more authoritative. Okay? Well, a few weeks ago, I woke up about that real early in the morning, you know, and just right out of a a deep sleep, so to speak. And I heard these words. Now, I didn't hear it with these physical ears, but I heard it in my, I'll tell you, it was even more real than I could hear it with my physical ears. And I heard these words, and I know it was God because I don't talk like this. Okay? And, uh, and the Lord said this to my spirit. And I, I got up and I went into the restroom. I wrote it down. I thought, my Lord, you know. And he said this. He said, and we're going to talk about a little bit about this today. We covered some of it last week, but I didn't get into the fullness of it. But he said this. He said, here's what the Lord said to my spirit. He said, the epicenter of all of God's activity is in the born again human spirit. The epicenter of all of God's activity. I'm telling you, like it branded in my spirit. I'll never forget it. You know, I mean, God, how many believe God spoke to my heart? He is, he spoke to my heart. It was, I I would have never even, I don't even think I've ever used that word before. He said, the epicenter of all of God's activity is in the born again human spirit. So immediately, uh, a couple hours later, once I got up, I went and I looked up the word epicenter. Now, I had heard the word before in reference to like a uh, uh, earthquake, the epicenter, which means the center point where it all came from. But I looked up some other words for the word epicenter, and, and the Lord said the epicenter of all of God's activity is in the born-again human spirit. Praise the Lord. We, we hear people say, God spoke to me. My, I always ask, well, how did he speak to you? Which way did he do it? Amen. The epicenter means this. It means the command post. These are other synonyms, other words for epicenter. Command post, focal point, headquarters, control center, core, Focus, heart, hub, inner reality. And I like this switchboard. Okay? The epicenter of all of God's activity is in the born-again human spirit. Now, we know from the Word of God, and if you go to uh, 1 Thessalonians, just turn over there and hold your place there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we'll look at verse 23. We know that according to the Word of God. Now, all that we know, think about this. 
all that we know about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all that we know about them is from the Word of God. Everything we know about angels is from the Word of God. Everything we know about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is from the written Word of God. Everything we know about mankind, us, we have to find it in the Word of God. Now, scientists can get a little crazy when they get out beyond the bounds of the Bible and they don't use the Bible as their measuring stick and they try to figure things out. They call the spirit the subconscious mind. They, that's what they, they say. They know there's something there. They just can't see it. So they call it the subconscious mind. Well, the Bible doesn't say we have a subconscious mind. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 23, scientists without the word of God will go nuts. They'll go crazy because the, the word of God is the measuring stick. In other words, that's what gives us the authority. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, it says, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, I might add, he says this, and the very God of peace, he is the God of peace, sanctify you wholly, entirely. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to see. Now, we know this very familiar verse right here. But I want you to notice the order. There's a reason why there's an order here. Now, a lot of people, and I've heard them, just my preachers as well, quote this in reverse. They say, body, soul, spirit. Now, the reason people say body, soul, spirit is because they're more body conscious than they are spirit conscious. They don't even realize they're doing that. But I've heard many preachers say body, soul, spirit. That's not what the Bible says. The scripture says right here, I pray God that your whole spirit, number one, and soul, number two, and body, number three, be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I made mention of the fact some some time ago that I did a sermon years ago called Does God Love All of Me? Amen. When I was first, when I first received Jesus Christ as a 16 year old teenager in 1976 in the month of May I, I had some concept that God loved my spirit but I had no idea that he loved my soul and he loved my body. In fact I didn't even know about spirit, soul and body. Okay. Because most people just look at your body and say, that's you. When you see this body, this is not the real me. This is just the house that I live in. Okay? And Paul says, I pray God that your whole spirit, number one, number two, soul, and then thirdly body, would be preserved blameless to the coming. In other words, made whole. God wants you and me to be made whole, whole entirely. Spirit, soul, and body. He doesn't want brokenness in your life. He doesn't want the word shalom means this. It comes from shalem. It means wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken. And God doesn't want you to have a whole spirit, but broken emotionally, broken physically. Right? He wants you to be made whole, spirit, and soul, and body. Now, the only way that you're going to Know that is by what the Word of God says. 
I mean, there's certain things that God says in His Word that if someone told me outside the Word of God, I couldn't believe it. But you know what? Because it's in the Word of God, that's my authority. And that's what gives us the authority to say, if God says it, we believe it. That's the way it is. Amen? And so, uh, we're talking about how the center of God's activity, the epicenter of all of God's activity is in the born-again human spirit. In other words, that's where he sets up his headquarters. Now, we're familiar with that movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember that movie? I know people that were obsessed with that movie. I think it's a pretty cool movie. It's a little unscriptural. But there's some stuff in there that's kind of interesting, you know. And uh, a lot of adventure and stuff like that, you know. And, uh, but I thought about it. I thought he was trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. And if he asked me the question, have you found the Ark of the Covenant, Keith? I'd say, yep, I found the Ark of the Covenant. He'd say, then where is it? I said, it's on the inside of me. <laughs> Amen. Now, there is a physical Ark. That was the Old Testament. That's a type and a shadow, right? But the Ark in the New Testament now moves on the inside of us. That's why when Jesus was being crucified, the, the curtain of the temple was rent or torn from top to bottom, which means an angel did that. And that curtain, according to Josephus, was 40 feet wide, 20 feet high, and 4 inches thick. That's pretty thick, isn't it? And the Bible says, whoosh, it just ripped, and the presence of God left that place, and now he no longer lives in a man-made tabernacle. Now he lives in the hearts of men and women that made Jesus Christ their Lord. Now your spirit has the Holy Spirit on the inside of it. I got to thinking about this just the, the other day. I was meditating on this. I'm thinking, I'm not alone. There's somebody else on the inside of me. And sometimes we're so soul conscious. Now, your spirit is the real you. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay, your decisioning, your faculties. Okay, and then, of course, your body is your flesh. Your body's not the real you. That's just the house that you, the real spirit man, live on the inside. But sometimes, even as Christians, and we've all been there and done that, we're more body conscious and we're more soul conscious than we are God conscious. Some people are just flat unconscious. Okay? But we can become, as Christians, think about it, we can become more God conscious even in our conversations with one another. So much conversation, so much communication is on a fleshly, soulish level, and that's it. And it can only go so far. But let me tell you something, and I believe this will even happen today when we fellowship with each other. There's a difference between talking soul to soul and spirit to spirit. There's a big difference. Amen? And I'll, I'll, if the Lord leads me, I'll get into the edge of that here today. But the control center, the switchboard, the heart, the hub, the focus of God's headquarters, if you're a Christian, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, all that means is I believe in Jesus Christ. He died for me. He was buried for me. He was resurrected for me. You're a born-again Christian. God lives on the inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. I could never be bored another day in my life, ever, 
when I realize he lives on the inside of me. It's the greatest revelation you could ever have. Matter of fact, it was the first revelation that the Apostle Paul had. Well, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And he was persecuting the church. Remember that? Actually putting people to death, thinking he was doing God's service. Until he ran into the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrected form. Knocked him off his horse. And he heard in a Hebrew tongue said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That's King James, but we'd say, why are you persecuting me? The first revelation that, that Paul had was, when you touch God's church, you're touching God. He didn't say, Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting my family? He said, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus identifies himself with us because he lives on the inside of us. The very first revelation Paul had was, when you touch the people of God, you're touching the apple of God's eye. And that's why Paul could say, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Amen? All of us find ourselves in situations from time to time, if not every week, where we feel insufficient, where we feel like we don't have what it takes. Aren't we? In the natural. But if we begin to focus and look on the inside of us, the Bible says the greater one in 1 John 4, 4 happens to live on the inside of us. The greater one. See, that's our common denominator in this church. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So I've heard, I've heard the Lord, not audibly with these ears here, but like, just like he talks to all of us at times. There's been times where my actions did not reflect that God was on the inside of me. <laughs> Am I the only one? You're having a rough week or a rough day and something happens and, man, fear's hitting you and all kind of stuff, you know. And you know how it is. And I hear the Holy Spirit not in a condemning way. He never condemns you. He said, son, do you realize who lives on the inside of you? I said, yeah. He says, well, start to act like it. Start to act like it. But he never says it with pointing a finger and condemning. I see, I, I can almost hear him with a smile on his face saying, come on, I'm on the inside of you. I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to bring you up. I'm going to help you. Praise God. Christ in us, the hope of glory. If I knew that, if I'm aware of that, better word, 24-7, my days of fear are done and finished. Days of heaven on earth, the Bible says. No more fear. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare, a trap. But who puts his trust in the Lord shall be made safe. Amen. Now see, this doesn't, even though it's a spiritual reality, God's word says what I'm saying here, we still have to meditate on the fact. We're talking about the center of God's activity is in our spirit. God deals with us from the inside out, not the outside in. Okay? Old Testament was like that. They had to deal with it. They could physically hear it with their ears. Not anymore. God speaks. Now God can talk audibly. Don't get me wrong. That's the exception, not the norm. In the New Testament, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and the daughters of God. Amen. Praise God. 
And I'll tell you, you can, if, when you start to meditate on the fact that, Father, you're on the inside of me today. You're going to work with me today, Lord. I'm going to the mall today, Lord, and you're, you're right there with me. I'm taking a trip today, Lord. I have to drive a couple of hours somewhere, and thank God you're right there with me. He's not just sitting in the passenger seat. That's too far away. He's in you. <laughs> Put your hand on here in your chest, your stomach, and say, God's in me. Hallelujah. Now, when you acknowledge that and you uh, keep that in the forefront, that's the key word, when you keep that in the forefront of your life, when you face adversity, which we all do, and you face fear, and all fear is, is just the devil shouting in your ears saying the promise of God doesn't work for you. For every fear that man has, God has a promise. For every fear that human beings have, God already has a promise. So our job is to meditate on the promise of the Word of God. And by the way, that is not just for the future, for the sweet by and by up in heaven. We need protection here on earth. That's where we need protection on earth. You don't need protection. You don't need healing in heaven. It's already done. Do you know that the will of God is always done in heaven? There's nothing up there resisting the will of God. That's why Jesus prayed the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, there's some stuff that happens on the earth isn't necessarily God's will. We know that. But our job is to bring heaven on the earth. And that's why I kind of said something there about boldness because sometimes we get a little sheepish. You know, get a little bashful, get a little backwards, but just a little more boldness on the part of some would make the difference of victory or defeat. Just a little more boldness. Amen. The early church, Paul prayed, pray that I would open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery. Now, boldness is not arrogance. Boldness is confidence. And just because someone's shouting and screaming doesn't mean they're necessarily bold. Sometimes that can be done in fear. Isn't that true? I was talking to a, a gal at the uh, supermarket yesterday, and I've known her for quite a while, young girl, and, um, and shared, began to share Christ with her through the years, different things. And she's got some physical issues in her family and stuff like that, you know. And, and uh, so we were, I was standing in the, in the line ready to check out, and she said, uh, I go, I go, how's your week going? She goes, well, I'm going away for two weeks. I'm going to my cabin for two weeks up in the Poconos. You know? And it's funny, one time we were watching the Weather Channel, they call it Pinocchio Mountains. <laughs> Made a mistake, didn't even catch it. You know? And I go, well, that's great. Have a, have a great time, you know? And just kind of engage in a conversation with her and that kind of thing. She goes, but the only problem is it's haunted. She go, I go, oh, really? She goes, yeah, it's been in the family for over 80 years. And she goes, she goes, we see Grandpa walking around up there and Grandma. And they've been gone for years, you know. So I stood there and listened to her. She kept going on about that. She goes, it's kind of freaky, but we still go there. You know, she goes, but it's haunted. And uh, now there's some other people on the line, you know, and I... And I felt impressed to tell her. Now, I've been witnessing to her. I said, I said, you want to know how to get rid of them? She looked yeah. at me like, 
She wanted to know how to get rid of him. I said, I said, use the name of Jesus and say, you get out of here in Jesus' name. She goes, what name? She goes, I go, Jesus' name. She goes, okay. She goes, it really works. I go, yeah. I said, you use the name of Jesus. Okay. Now, here's the thing. People that are deceived that don't understand this, they think, you know, that that's Uncle Charlie. He's been gone for 50 years and he shows up. It sounds like him, looks like him, the whole thing. That's not Uncle Charlie. That's called a familiar spirit. Okay? We go through this town when we go to D.C. every year. <laughs> and uh, it's an old historic town in Virginia. You know, uh, what's it? Middleburg, I think it's called? Man, is that place beautiful. I mean, beautiful town, real old, quaint, you know, just like going back in time, you know, cobblestone and all this stuff, you know. And, and, uh, but there, it's real known for uh, being spooked and being uh, haunted and stuff, you know. And they actually call the spirit Monty. Monty, we make a big joke out of that, you know. But my point is this, is that these are not your old relatives coming back and so forth. These are called, the Bible says, familiar spirits. In other words, they can, they can um, copy, copycat uh, people, imitate their voices, and you think, Granny just showed up in my room last night. No, that's a demon spirit, okay, uh, to bring deception, okay? Those are demonic spirits, but the good news is, is we have authority and we have dominion over that. Now, now, I normally wouldn't say that to someone like that, but I felt impressed to do that, you know. And she latched on to it. She goes, just use the name of Jesus. I go, yeah, that's right. Praise God. When we realize that God is not just with us and God is not just for us, that God is in us, we will do the impossible. We will do the impossible. And even when impossibility is shouting in your ear, saying, ah, this can't be done. This has never been done before. No one in your family's ever done this before. You say, shut up. I got a God that lives on the inside of me. Praise God. You can actually talk yourself, and that's part of encouraging yourself in the Lord your God, like David did, okay, is you begin to rehearse now, the reason that we even get in fear and turmoil in our lives is we, we rehearse the problems. We'll lay down at night, you know, trying to go to sleep, and we're rehearsing the problems. We're rehearsing something that may not have even happened yet, you know, and we're just, we're thinking it through, we're thinking it through. What is that? That's meditation, but on the wrong thing. God invented meditation to work for us, not against us. Amen? You see, when you meditate, you are pre-playing your future. When you worry, you are replaying the past. When you meditate, you are preparing for your future. How did I say that? It just came right out of my heart. When you meditate, you're what? You're preparing for the future. But when you worry, you're replaying the past. God wants to do a new thing. There's always going to be the negative. There's always going to be the naysayers. There's always going to be the circumstances that have a voice that say, it's not going to work for you this time. But I got good news for the demons and devils. It does work and it will work and it always works. God's word is true. Praise God.
And so uh, the epicenter, let's talk about that for a minute here. That's the place where God functions out of our spirit, and that's where he begins to communicate with us. We talked about the fact that, you know, like CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network, has an epicenter in Virginia Beach. Okay? Fox News, for example, has their epicenter in New York City. CNN has their headquarters in hell. I'm just kidding. Uh, the, the Weather Channel has their epicenter in Atlanta. Okay? The epicenter where God speaks to us and deals with us is from the inside out. Amen. Now, the first time ever I ever heard this, not audible, it, almost, it was almost more than audible. But the first time I ever heard that inward voice, literally, was my first year when I was going to Bible school. And I'd never experienced that before. And I woke up one morning before... I wasn't even married yet. You know, we were first year of Bible school, you know, and I had a couple of roommates, you know, and I woke up one morning. And the Spirit of God spoke something to me. I won't tell you what it was, but I wrote it down on a little recipe card. And I, it, 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 it put a mark on me. And it was, when you wake up out of a deep sleep like that and the Holy Ghost, how many of you ever experienced that before? What I'm talking about. And it's like, whoa, I wouldn't have thought that. That wasn't on my mind. But all of a sudden, Bam. And I'd been sitting under the Word of God daily in the classes. I mean, go to Bible school, sit for, under the Word of God. And the school that I was going to, Rainbow Bible Training Center, there was no wasted classes. They say most of what people learn in colleges they'll never use in their lifetime. And there's most of what people learn in some, some Bible schools they'll never use. It's just waste. But I know Kenneth Hagin, when he started that school, he says, I wanted every single class to pertain and be pertinent to the men and the women that are getting biblical training. And I can verify the fact that everything they taught was like, yes. Amen. It was pertinent. It was applicable. It was pertinent to the day in which we lived. And when you sit under the Word of God, like just like today, when you sit under the Word of God, and the Word of God is going into your ears, it goes down into your spirit. And it stays there forever. It stays in your spirit. And so I found that there were scriptures that I never heard before, but when I was in Bible school, I was kind of new at this, you know. And, and, and the instructors and different people were sharing scriptures, life-giving scriptures. And I noticed that from time to time, from there, fast forward a few years, that the Holy Spirit would talk to me, but he would pull up a scripture or something that was said in those classrooms that I had previously learned. And see, that's part of the job of the Holy Spirit is he's, 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 he'll teach you all things and he'll bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I've said unto you. Yes. Scriptures. Yes. Word of God. Well, Pastor, why is the Word of God so important? Because it's life. Yes. <laughs> it's not just words. It's not like a Western. It's not just like a novel. I'll prove you something. If you get on the, uh, what's the Pittsburgh, they call that the T... They're called the T stool. Is that what it is? The transportation. And they got buses, of course, too. And most people, when they get on those, and I'll show you how the, the Word of God's life. You get on one of those public transportation, whether it's a bus or the T or something like that, and you have a Western or a novel or a magazine, nobody will think twice about it. 
But if you get on that public transportation and you got a Bible in your hand, it will make some people extremely nervous. They won't even want to sit next to you. Because it's what that book represents. It's what that book represents. It's a holy book. A holy God wrote a holy book for us. And everything in that book, everything you have in your Bible is God-breathed and it can be trusted and relied upon. Praise God. But why am I saying that? I'm saying all that to say this. We need, we need to have more and I mean all of us, myself included, my family included, we need to have more of a God consciousness more than ever before. We live in a day, we live in an age when there's adversity coming and buffeting people. All, sometimes you don't even know how you're going to make it through a week sometimes. Things happen, stuff happens, okay? But if we know that there's a God that loves us and lives on the inside of us, then he will rise up on the inside of us and help us. And equip us, even when you don't have the answers. I'll tell you a little secret. When you don't know what to do, especially when it comes with people, yield to the spirit of love. When you're perplexed and you're like, you know what perplexed means? <laughs> you all know what that means, don't you? You don't need a dictionary for that. You ever been perplexed? Paul said I was perplexed at times. And you're like, gosh, golly. Golly. <laughs> it's like, what do I do? You know what I'm saying? See Gomer Powell coming out here, you know. When you don't know what to do, the Spirit of God always knows what to do. But if you yield to the Spirit of love and just trust Him. I like what Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. One of my favorite verses. Trust in the Lord with not half your heart, but all of your heart. Do not lean to this, but trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean to this, but in all your ways, acknowledge God and he will direct your path. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. The scripture that we often quote is, 1 John 4, 4 says, uh, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen. How many of you like that scripture? Greater is he that's in you. Uh, the scripture says that. But if you read the first couple of verses in 1 John chapter 4, he's talking about demons and devils and evil spirits that have gone into that are in the world, you know. But then he says in verse 4, he says, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The he that's in the world is demons and evil spirits. Yeah. Ghosts, goblins, whatever you want to call them. Okay? He says, they're in the world, but the greater one lives on the inside of you. Amen? Many years ago, when I first started um, in the ministry as an assistant pastor, I was working in a church, an inner city church actually in Pittsburgh, and it's still there to this day. Very, very inner city. Lots, lots of, uh, it's gotten even uh, more challenging in that area since even back in the 80s when I was working there. And uh, I was just fresh out of Bible school and I started, uh, I, was, I was hired as a custodian in my church because they, they didn't need anything else. They wanted a custodian. I says, I volunteer, I'm going to do it. Okay? 
Because they taught us at Bible school, you have to be willing to clean toilets, to do whatever for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Jesus. I said, absolutely. And I took it with joy. Amen. Well, it wasn't too much longer after that that I was promoted within a month to the associate pastor of the church because the pastor went into the mission field and the assistant pastor became the pastor. And so we just kind of moved rather quick. Okay. Now, with an inner city church, now with every church, you have challenges. Okay. But particularly in an inner city church, you have a lot of issues that are, you know, let's just, there's a lot of things that you normally don't see elsewhere. They're there, but you see it more prominent in the inner city church. In my first exposure to work in there, I was, like I said, I was the custodian of this church, um, and they bought this old theater. It used to be, uh, initially it was a brewery back in the 1800s, then it became a, a theater, Mount Oliver Theater, okay? How many of you ever been to that place before? Mount Oliver Theater, years ago. And so, uh, there were some rough people in that congregation. The custodian in that church was basically a street person. The pastor would help him. You know, he was, didn't have anything, you know. And I'll never forget, he had really bad teeth, this guy. You know, he was basically a homeless guy. And the pastor let him stay in there and he would help out, you know. And one day he came out there with a pair of pliers and there was a tooth in it, inside the pliers. And his name was Billy. I go, Billy, what did you do? He goes, well, my teeth needed pulled, so I just took a pair of pliers and pulled it out. I thought, oh, God. You know? It only gets better from there. (laughs) So one day the pastor's there, you know, I was just freshly new there. He said, let's go out to lunch today, Keith. So we go down the steps. We're marching out the front door. And as we walked out the front door, there was a guy there that had rocks in his hands, and he started throwing them at the pastor. (laughs) Little pebbles, wham, wham. And the pastor, he was pretty rough and tough anyway. He, he dealt with that. And I'm thinking, they're actually his kids. And this guy, let's just say his elevator didn't go to the top. Okay? He was a few bricks shy a load, as they say. Okay? He thought he was a car, sports car, this guy. This is a person. Okay? He thought he was a sports car. So after throwing the rocks at the pastor... And there's empty, there's parking spaces with lines on the, on the road, right on Brownsville Road right there, you know. And he gets out there, and I'm, I'm already overwhelmed by the rock thing, you know. And my, my pastor was just looking, he knew what was going on here. He's seen this before, and I hadn't seen this before. He acted like he was a car backing into a space. He's like this, and he, he backs in like this, and he stands there like this, like a car. Go figure, I don't... This kind of stuff went on all the time. Crazy type stuff like this going on. A lot of drugs and stuff like that. But I, one, one case in particular, here's what I'm getting to is this. To prove my point, greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. There is a family that came to the church that gave their hearts to the Lord. Prior to giving their hearts, they had probably five or six kids from what I recall, young kids. And this couple was heavily into, both of them, husband and wife, were heavily into the drugs, into the occult, you name it, alcohol, everything you can imagine. But they came, somebody invited them to church. See what happens when you invite someone to church? Always look for opportunities to bring someone to church. I don't care if it's rough, tough, they turn you down. Keep inviting people. Because they're going to hear words of eternal life. 
that's going to change their life. And that guy came, I was preaching a midweek service, and he came to the altar, got born again. Brought his whole family, and they got born again. And, I mean, they were a rough-looking family. I'm telling you, you could tell they had been, they had been through some stuff. Right straight, right out of the world. Gave their hearts to, to the Lord, you know. Well, that same week, the secretary of the church got a phone call that he, they needed some counseling. And, uh, and the pastor says, why don't you go ahead and, and, and take this family? I had no idea what was going on. And so uh, this husband and wife came up, precious, precious couple, and really loved the Lord because they just got saved. They said, we don't understand it. We were sitting down in my, my, my office, you know, and, and they said, we don't understand it. But ever since that Wednesday night when we came to church and gave our hearts to the Lord, we've had these manifestations in our house. They lived right down the, right down the street, same street as the church was on. They had like a, like a rental house that they had down there. And they said that ever since we got saved, here's their story. They're telling me this. They said furniture just starts to move at random across the, the, hall, the, the room. Pictures will fall off the wall. Lights will go off and on. And they're, of course, they're freaking out. What is going on here? Okay? Now, I knew what was going on here, but they didn't know. They didn't know about the spirit realm. They didn't know, they didn't know about demons and evil spirits and things like that. And, and instantly I knew it was because they had given their hearts to the Lord because prior to that, they're involved in the enemy's camp. They're deceived. They don't even know it. But they're, they're involved in drugs. They're involved in alcohol. They're involved in the occult because they told me this. All right? Now they're giving this all up. And so the enemy's upset. And so he starts to move stuff and throw stuff, you know. It's just demons. That's all it is. But they're freaking out over this. They're like, I mean, we've got five kids here, you know, and most of them are in diapers. And this stuff's going on inside our house. I knew exactly immediately what to do. I just knew it just like that. It was the Lord showing me that. And I said, this, I said, this is, first of all, I said, this is nothing. And you could tell by the looks on their face, what do you mean? This is, this is a big deal, you know. But as far as God's concerned, this is nothing. I said, here's what happened in a nutshell. You came to the church. You gave your heart to the Lord. The devil's upset about it because he lost territory. You guys came to the altar. You gave your hearts to the Lord. You got born again. Now the devil's ticked off. He's mad. He's just thrown a hissy fit. You know what that is, don't you? Any of your kids ever do that? Hissy fit. Okay? And the devil's upset. But I said, here's what we're going to do. We're, we have authority in the name of Jesus. These are just low-level devils. I said, we have authority over them. And in this office right now, we're going to join hands, and I'm going to take authority over these principalities and powers, these wicked spirits that are manifesting themselves in your house. So you have to understand, there are things that you and I can do to open up the door to the enemy, and there's things that we can do to open up the door for the Lord. Right? There's things, let's face it, in the natural, even as believers, there's things we can do in the flesh to open the door, just like if you keep your screen doors open, flies are going to get in the house. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Can't blame the flies. The doors are open. The windows are open. Mm -hmm. And just as the doors were open, we can shut the doors too. Amen. So 
here's what we did. We took authority, broke the power of it in Jesus' name. As I commanded, now there was no special feeling, no special nothing, no goosebumps and nothing. I just took what I knew from the Word of God. You get that? I just based what I believed on the book, on the Word of God. Not because I had a special feeling, just taking the Word of God at face value. And we said, in Jesus' name, we break the power of every demon spirit that's manifesting in their house. And we take authority over it. We command it to go in Jesus' name and to cease in its maneuvers right now, never to return again. Well, I saw them several weeks later. And they came up to me and smiling real big and happy. And I could tell by the look on their face some good things were happening. I said, well, how's everything going? She goes, well, pastor, since you prayed, she goes, we haven't had one manifestation. We got peace in our house. And I'll tell you, that family came in, man, they got baptized with the Holy Ghost, joined the church, began to get into the Word, transformed their lives. Their kids grew up under the Word of God. What the Word of God can do in someone's life. You see, the absence of the Word is nothing more than darkness. Darkness cannot overcome light. The absence of light means darkness. If you're in a a pitch black place, I mean, you're dark. You can't even see the hand in front of your face. I've been in caverns like that. I mean, you literally cannot. There's no light. You can't see nothing. But one little match, you light that thing up, it lights the whole entire room up. Okay? Now, I never liked that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. You picture this little... This little light of mine. Throw that out. It's not some little light. It's a flaming torch that's on the inside of us. It's amazing how religious songs kind of paint a picture on the inside of our minds. Amen? Not this little light of mine. I've got this big flaming torch on the inside of me. Praise God. And so when we take God's word and we act on God's word, there's a couple of scriptures I want you to see before we close here. Go to Romans 7 and verse 22. And I want to show you how it's your spirit that God operates from. That's where he lives. That's where his headquarters are on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Three scriptures and we'll close here. Praise God. Romans chapter 7 verse 22. The apostle Paul said this. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Underline the word inward man. Now this is the Apostle Paul as a born again believer now. He's already been saved. Jesus Christ is his Lord. And he's saying this, I delight in the law of the word of God after the inward man. Say inward man. Now go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Same author, different book, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, with just one verse. It says here, uh, for this cause we faint not, Paul said here, for though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. 
Do you see that? Now, notice in 16 it says there's an outward man and there's an inward man. Now, what's the outward man? That's the body. Now, he says, though our outward man perish, in other words, it's getting older. Okay? That's just, now the Bible says God renews our youth like the eagles. And we can claim that. I claim that. Psalm 103. He renews our youth like the eagles, praise God. But the, that doesn't do away with the fact that, yes, our bodies are getting older, but he says, yet yeah, that's the outward man, but the inward man is renewed. In other words, it doesn't get older. The inward man. Paul calls the spirit man the inward man. Now, in 1 Peter, let's look at what Peter said here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 1. Now, Paul calls the spirit man the inward man. All of you that are here, you have an inner man. What is that inner man? That's your spirit. It looks just like you, except a whole lot better. And that inner man is, this, is the same man that Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, lives inside of that man. Okay? And in Peter, he says here, likewise... We'll kind of paint the picture. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if they any obey not the word, they may, they may without the word be won by the conversation or the lifestyle of their wives. He's talking about wives that have husbands that are unbelievers. He said the Lord can change them by your lifestyle, by the way you live, by the way you act. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward Adorning of the plaiting of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of apparel. Now, Paul is not saying here, or Peter is not saying here that it's wrong to fix your hair up, to wear jewelry, and to wear nice clothing. That's not what he's saying here. Now, there have been some denominations that have actually built a whole doctrine around this, and they call this holiness. That, you know, you're not supposed to dress up, you're not supposed to wear makeup. And people say that's holiness. No, that's ugliness. <laughs> it's amazing how people put emphasis. Paul, but he says, verse 4, he says, but let it be, here's what he says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. Underline that phrase. Let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament now, you all have ornaments at Christmas time. It's a decoration, isn't it? To be set out so people can see it. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is a great price. Now, let me just paraphrase what Peter is saying here. He says, he says wives, he says, don't put all of your emphasis just on the outward. Your hairstyle, your clothing, your makeup. That's important. He's not saying that's not important. But he said, more importantly, he said, let it be the hidden man of the heart. Hidden man of the heart. What is it? That's your spirit. Now, in this case, he's talking, to, he's talking about women with their husbands. But men could apply this too as well. Let it be the hidden man, the inward man. Let it be like an ornament. Hallelujah. See, the real you is not that flesh sitting in that chair. That's just the house that you live in. Amen? Now let's just say this jacket, this is like my flesh. If I take this flesh off, 
All that's left is spirit. This is the flesh. At physical death, you lay down the body, but your spirit lives on. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But you know, your spirit can become so prominent to the point where we can say what Wigglesworth said. Remember Wigglesworth? That said, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Now, someone that's just in the flesh and the natural would say, what's that supposed to mean? I'm a thousand times, how can you fit? If you're a thousand times bigger on the inside, he's, he's talking about spiritual influence. Your spirit, man, there's no limitations. It can get stronger and stronger and stronger till you get to the point where you have the might of God on the inside of you. Amen. So Peter is just saying here, says, wives, he says, look, you can win your, your husbands without even saying a word. You know, sometimes husbands or wives, they don't want to hear what you say. Don't preach to me. I don't want to hear that. Right? Shut up. I don't want to hear that scripture. I don't want to hear that. Okay? We've probably all dealt with that at some point. Okay? However, your example speaks so loud. The old Chinese proverb says, what you are speaks so loud I can't even hear what you're saying. So what you are on the inside of you has a voice. The way that you act, the way that you behave, the way that you treat people. That's a big one right there, the way that you treat people. You know, that's big on Jesus' list. That's real big on Jesus' list. You know, I've been around this stuff quite a while. You know, we've been in meetings with big, big ministers and stuff like that. Sat with the best, been with the best, that type of thing. And it's a privilege to do so. But you know, not everybody has the right motive. Not everybody has the right heart. And some people want to just do things to be seen of men and impress people. You know what I'm saying? But that's all, that's all outward stuff. But we can build up the inner man, the inward man. And you know, to be honest with you, no matter how good looking we think we are, there's always someone better looking than us. Isn't that true? And there's only so much you can do to make yourself look, you know, that's, that's a lot of people nip and tuck and all this kind of stuff and cut this out and do this and try to fix it, you know, and all they got is a bunch of scars all over them, you know what I'm saying? Trying to fix the outward man. There's only so much you can do. Only so much you can do for the outward man. But let me tell you something. You cannot just be so consumed with your outward man. I mean, the reality of it is, I want to lose some weight. Okay? Probably like 30 pounds. Okay? I'm not embarrassed about it, but I do. I need to lose like 30 pounds. That's a mission. <laughs> Not Mission Impossible, but it's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I know the Lord's there to help me. I just, I just have to make my mind up and say, okay, we need to get down to business here. We need to do some things. But, but my point being is this, is like, you know, 
there's only so much you can do, do to make yourself look good. We need to do what we need to do in the natural to look good. But let's not put all the emphasis on the flesh, on the outward man. Okay? Now, if it, if it was just your flesh, think about this for a minute. Stop thinking about this for a minute. If it was just your flesh that guarantees success, nobody in Hollywood will get a divorce. Yet you've got some of the most people with the prettiest flesh you've ever seen. I mean, flawless. And you see on the headlines, they're getting a divorce. This is their third marriage. So if it was just flesh alone that kept you together, like, man, is she good? Look at her. He, look at him, man. You know, it's still flesh. Because what's on the inside of a person will always overcompensate what the flesh is, whether that's good or bad. You can take a man or a woman that may not be that physically outstanding, okay? Just normal Joe, so to speak. Normal Sally or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Just pick those names. But if they... If their spirit is in contact with God and they're walking with God and they're filled with God, filled with the love of God, that spirit in them will rise up on them and they'll actually look more attractive than they really, really are. Why? Because the spirit man will always overcome and overcompensate for the flesh. Are you with me? Are you, Pastor, are you guys look, absolutely look as good as you possibly can. Do what you need to do, I'm telling you. But our emphasis should be on the inward man. Praise God. I've been around some people before that are so full of the love of God. I don't want to leave their presence. Oh, man. I just want to be around them. Rub some of that off on me. Amen. A brother Kenneth E. Hagan, my spiritual father, was like that. They say that when he was uh, when he went home to be with the Lord and finished his course. Now I wasn't there, but they had a funeral at, at Rama, and I know some people that went to the the funeral service. It, it was it was glorious. Just a just a whole history of of his what he did for the Lord. It's just mind boggling. But uh, two or three people told me the exact same thing. They said when they passed by the casket, they never saw someone that looked so empty. They said so empty because his spirit was so dominant as a human being that when his spirit left his body, there was nothing left there. It was just a shell because his spirit was so dominant. Amen? His spirit was so dominant in his life that that's what shined through him. There were times uh, through the years, some of you may have been in his services through the years, and, um, and I, I remember over here uh, in Ohio when he would come to Canton, Ohio, he would go over there and in different places. And, you know, you do everything you can to get to the meeting. You scrounge up enough, enough money to get to the meeting. It's been a hard week, you know, you get in those meetings, and they do worship. He comes walking out there, one of the most humble, talk about humility and humble spirit that man had and there are times he would walk out there and I would, tears would just start streaming down my face why because he walked before he even opened his mouth the love of God was so strong in him 
The presence of Jesus was so strong on him. He just had a calm confidence in the love of God that he walked out there. He wasn't showing off. He wasn't doing anything in the flesh to impress a soul. That's the last thing he would ever do is try to impress somebody. He'd walk off the stage before that ever happened. He was truly a man of humility. And I learned from that. I want to attain that more and more in my life because uh, his words were powerful. What he taught was very powerful. But even more so, his lifestyle was powerful because he was the same in the pulpit as he was out of the pulpit. He was the same. Amen? Your spirit can become so dominant and so powerful that it'll make up, it'll overcompensate for any weakness or inability that you would have in the flesh. People will just, they'll start to like you and they don't even know why. Like there's something about you I just really like. Amen? Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We worship you right now, Father, in this place. Thank you so much. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Though it may seem like a mystery... What I shared today by the direction of the Lord is totally attainable for every single person in this building right now. Whether you, this is your first time here or if you've been here for a while, your spirit can become the most dominant part of your life because that's where God lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Bless you. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Here's what I want to do. Father, those, that, those right now that, have, that are uh, right now in the midst of a pretty hefty, heavy test or trial, particularly when it comes to individuals, people that they're dealing with, I'm asking you right now for a divine revelation, Lord of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's you, Father, that lives on the inside of them. That, Lord, this will not just be a head knowledge, not just mental assent, but they'll grasp with their heart, grasp with their spirit, the reality that you live on the inside of them. And they'll rise up and they'll overcome that problem so quick. And so speedily, glory to God. Glory to God. So just receive that right now in Jesus' name. Praise God. Let's stand up and lift our hands and thank the Lord this morning. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you so much. Thank you. We worship you, Lord. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise your Lord Jesus. Praise your Lord. Lynn, you got anything before we leave? Okay. Amen. Praise God. Jesus, you are Lord. We thank you today, Lord.
Praise God. Praise God.